Hello, welcome to the Kill Germ Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Hoddy, and joining me today to talk about resistance in insects is Kill Germ's Head of Technical Department, Dr. Matthew Davies. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Luke. Hope you're good as well. I'm good, thank you. I was actually uh, scrolling through some of the old episodes today, and I realised that under my predecessor, Eden, when he had reins of the podcast, you were a regular contributor. I don't want it to seem like I've got a personal vendetta <laughs> against you, but this is actually only your first time on with me. <laughs> is it really? I do apologise. Definitely nothing personal, just the way it goes. No, this is like an olive branch uh, podcast, isn't it? I guess. And anyway, you can get it back. You can get back at me by saying he was much better than me at the end of it. So you get your revenge. Um, right, let's get to it then. So we're talking about resistance in insects. So let's start with what is resistance. Yeah, it's a good topic. It's an interesting one and something that's that's re- very relevant these days in, in public health pest control. So we all need to try and do our best to understand it, really, because it can have an impact on on treatments. I think in terms of a definition of insecticide resistance, the main thing I want to get over, it is a genetic change that's inherited by further generations. And that change will affect the sensitivity of an insect population um, in terms of the effect of the insecticide on that population. We would see that as a practical output in failure, a product treatment failure, even when we've been following the product label, we just wouldn't get that expected level of control. So that's what we'd see, but then it's driven by genetic changes that are inherited uh, through the generations. Um, so you've quite uh, emphasised inherited there. So we're not talking about tolerance then or anything like that like that grows over time. No, we're not because people use words like like immunity um, and that's to do with the immune system. So very, very different. People also use the word tolerance and as a general point um, rodents and insects can show levels of tolerance to certain products um, if they receive sublethal doses over time. But that's a temporary thing, and that's the key thing. That, that can be temporary, whereas uh, this inherited genetic trait, that, that's a permanent thing that's been passed on, and um, that's what we're dealing with, really. So that, that doesn't go away unless we eradicate the insects by choosing the right products. So are there different types, varying degrees of resistance in insects then? There are a number of different types, and that's what makes it quite interesting, really. Um, one of the most common uh, types of resistance in insects is where the target site has changed. There's been a mutation that's led to a change to the target site in an insect. It'd be a part of the nervous system, part of the insect nerve. That insecticide can't bind properly to where it needs to, and that's a target site mutation. Um, sometimes it's described as a knockdown resistance where we don't have that same control and effect on insects with our standard insecticides. That's probably overall the most common type of resistance that we encounter in our industry. Um, so is there any more then apart from that? Yeah, there, there are a few. So um, just to add to the, the complexity, you know, we, we've got this initial one where it's a problem. The insecticide gets in there, can't bind to where it needs to bind properly. But actually, a further types of resistance could be penetration resistance. The insecticide will struggle to even get through the outer layer of an insect and there is evidence certainly in bed bug populations in different parts of the world i'm thinking of one particular paper from researchers in australia showing that the the cuticle the outside layer the exoskeleton of bed bugs um, is, is thickened in some populations that again is a genetic change that's been passed on and it's more difficult for the insecticide to actually penetrate through that tough outer layer of an insect to even get to the nervous system so target site resistance, penetration resistance is number two. 
And there are a couple more. How much can you take, Luke? Do you want me to do two more types? I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah, let's hear them. Okay, this is this is my pattern. You see, I'm not so good at dinner parties. I have to sit on my own. But there is metabolic resistance in insects as well. Insects have a, a suite of enzymes that are quite good at breaking down or metabolizing insecticides. And in certain species and certain populations of those species, that effect can be enhanced. The better than normal at breaking down insecticides. So that's a further challenge. That's like a third uh, type of resistance to, to deal with. And there's a fourth one on my mind. So um, I've seen information, again, about bed bugs. I'm not picking on bed bugs, but there is research around these. And there are cases of behavioral resistance where bed bugs are able to detect higher level deposits of certain synthetic pyrethroid products, the really common sprays that we use, and are capable of avoiding the surfaces on which those deposits are present, and they can preferentially seek um, an untreated area to settle on. Um, so quite different, but again, there, there will be um, a genetic basis to that that's passed on from generation to generation. So that's fascinating then, because obviously you see that in rodents, but for, for a layman like myself, I wouldn't have thought insects had the capacity for behavioural resistance. Yeah, it is really quite quite interesting. I suppose um, one thing I've not really mentioned in my discussion so far about resistance, of course, it's got a beneficial aspect. An insect showing the various types of resistance, um, you know, is, is the whole survival of the fittest. And the selection pressures there are heavy. Um, you know, insects that are susceptible uh, are controlled effectively by the pesticide. Those that have the ability to withstand that are resistant. They remain, survive able to breed and pass on that genetic material to to their offspring and um, so it really is a, a selective advantage for them to be resistant there is that benefit to it the fact that they're still alive and um, so that's why it can spread pretty pretty rapidly um so you've talked about this issue then is this a problem currently in the uk it is um yes yeah, so we do have issues with insecticide resistance in the uk it varies in different parts of the world we have some problems with resistance to pyrethroids in the UK. Uh, and that's not an unexpected thing. We see that in, in parts of Europe, uh, parts of America, uh, and other parts of the world as, as well. So resistance to pyrethroids isn't a, a surprise. What I'm not doing is, is dissing or criticising pyrethroids. They're our go-to uh, main product for, for knockdown and also for residual treatments for insects. Um, but certain pests in certain populations, we've got to be aware of the fact that there's potential for resistance to pyrethroids it doesn't always mean treatment failure it can mean delayed um you know results but we've got to be aware that that's out there and make some choices product wise to, to minimize the impacts of resistance so you're touching it a little bit there then um what other chemicals can insects be resistant to yeah so i mentioned pyrethroids as a whole so that's an overall term um to pick individual active ingredients Pyrethroids are things like permethrin, deltamethrin, cypermethrin. So they're familiar to most pest controls that are regularly using the, uh, the synthetic pyrethroids. So it's mainly um, some issues with the, the pyrethroid type chemicals in the UK in terms of resistance. Uh, you spoke earlier about how you picked on bed bugs then. And so we know that they can be resistant. Maybe speak a little bit more on that if there is anything more to say on them. But is there any other insects as well that are resistant? Yeah, so bedbugs are probably most at the forefront of our minds in terms of resistance issues. And there, there are populations of bedbugs in the UK that are resistant to, to the standard pyrethroids. And also we've got house flies on farms. There's potential for resistance development there. 
and there's known information about the um, bird mites or so Demanisus. Uh, in agricultural settings, there are some issues with pyrethroid resistance there. So I'll just be a bit cautious with my scientific name. So when I say bed bug, I mean Cynex lectularius, just for clarity. When I say house flies, I mean Musca domestica, and then bird mite, I mean uh, Demanisus. Uh, just because if we've got international listeners, sometimes the common names mean different things in different different countries. But yeah, they're the sort of main three that we encounter in the UK with, with some issues, pyrethroid-wise. So for those that have encountered this, then how can we help? Is there any certain strategies that you can use to get around it? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think the main thing, and it's a, a typical Killjoe thing to say, we say it over the phone and we say it on, on training courses, there's still that emphasis on following the label directions. You know, we need to know that we've got the right dilution rate of the product and also the correct application rate. If, if we're underdosing, um, that could lead to treatment failure. Not necessarily meaning that we've got a resistance issue, but it's just that general point about still following label. So that if we do have issues, we can sort of rule out under-application or misapplication. Um, so that's always a good starting point with the, with the labels. Thinking about labels for insecticides regarding houseflies and farm situations. You know, we're, we're advised not to use residual synthetic pyrethroids for housefly control on intensive animal units. The, the idea there is we're not getting that influx of, of flies to you know, dilute the gene pool and add new genetic material. So if resistance occurs, it can spread rapidly. So we're advised not to use residual pyrethroids for houseflies and intensive animal units. If it's spay sprays and non-residual sprays that can be pyrethroid-based or even natural pyrethrin-based, based on chrysanthemum, um, the labels for those fogging types of products tell us, do not use me more than once a week in fogging treatments for houseflies in those particular settings. So they can be used, but they use sparingly at those regular intervals. Um, any more frequent than that could lead to, lead to problems. So it is still back to to following the label there. Yeah, I think on, on the bed bug side of thing, we don't have specific resistance management advice on labels, but information from training courses, refresher courses, technical advice over the phone, and um, documents, things like you know, bed bug manuals or bed bug codes of practice, all talk about rotation of insecticide groups and using insecticides that are different in their mode of action to try and counteract the different types of resistance. So you talked about insecticide use then, is there any non-insecticide options? Yeah, there are. So I think, um, well, I suppose I'll mention um, some of the insecticide options first and then move on to the non-insecticide options. So if we've got this general knowledge that in some cases we've got resistance to pyrethroids, we, we sort of lament the loss of a particular wettable powder that was based on bent diacarb. Um, but we, we sort of move on from, from that. We're in a different era now. Um, things to look for, especially for bed bug products, um, to counteract metabolic resistance, we're looking for products that contain piperonyl butoxide, a synergist that helps with metabolic resistance. We're looking for products that contain insect growth regulators as well. Pyroproxifen is one active ingredient. That's a type of insect growth regulator. And um, we've also got S-methoprene. That's another type of insect growth regulator. They will stop the bedbug nymphs from being able to reach the adult form and be fertile. 
so it stops that breeding cycle. A female bed bug that takes the right dose of insect growth regulator will be unable to produce viable eggs in a reasonable quantity. So these two different ways of stopping the breeding cycle are important there. So insect growth regulators, good news. Something with a synergist in there, also good news. And then we look at alternative treatments. Uh, so yeah, that brings us back to your non-insecticide options. Diatomaceous earth is one option for resistance management, being a, a physical mode of action, uh, resulting in a desiccation of pest species, uh, pest insects. Um, there are the immobilization sprays that work via topical application. So you have to directly treat uh, the insect to cause immobilization, and that's a physical mode of action. That's, that's worthwhile for bed bug control um, as part of a suite of treatments. We tend to recommend, on average, about three treatments for bed bugs, each one being two to three weeks apart from the other, with a variety of products. Things that contain the insect growth regulators some point have some diatomaceous earth. At some point, make sure we've got the synergist. There will be residual pyrethroids in there, of course. Um, but we can also throw in things like um, the immobilization treatments and then freezing and heat treatments, uh, steam treatments. These, these are non-insecticide options that can be used to bring numbers down and, and add to the suite of insecticide treatments. So there's a lot to go out there, really, I think, with the various options. How effective can these uh, steam treatments be then? Yeah, very, very effective. Um, you're directing that steam treatment directly at individual insects, such as bed bugs and, and their eggs, and the, the temperature there is enough to, to result in, in lethal control. And if you've got delicate items, um, you know these things can be can be put in the in the domestic freezer. We've actually got a bed bug manual that lists the various temperatures of freezers, the various cycles you put your um, washing machine on, and um, the tumble dryer. Um, and that's all been produced by um, a gentleman that's very well up on, on bed bugs and has got his own company and did a lot of research at the University of Sheffield on bed bugs. So we're grateful for that information. And we've, we've incorporated that from his paper into our bed bug manual. Uh, so we think that like, we've got most of the right advice in these things to help, help people, really. Recently, we had Alan Buckle from Crew in the podcast, and he talked about obviously with rodents, you can examine tails to know if they're resistant or not. Is there a similar yep. process with insects? Yeah, these things are possible, but you really need in a, a laboratory the capability to do this in a scientific and reproducible way. We can do things in a rough and ready manner. Um, we can simply have you know, a, a piece of material that we've treated with a, a commonly used insecticide. We can house a number of bed bugs on that in a pot and then check them periodically. And, you know, that's like doing a mini treatment, really. It's a microcosm of a bed bug treatment, and that, that can help. Um, but, yeah, there isn't there's really a service uh, widely available for that. So a bit of a rough and ready DIY type, type option. Uh, but still worth doing if, uh, if we're unsure what we're dealing with. Fantastic. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Before I let you go, um, if anyone that wants to know a little bit more about resistance, what avenues can they take? Yeah, no problem. I think um, you can always give us a call, and we'll advise on job-specific situations. For, for more detailed information, there is the Insecticide Resistance Action Committee, IRAC. Uh, so Google them and go on their website. There's a ton of information there. Um, there's also a pesticide resistance database. You can actually go on that database and punch in uh, various chemicals uh, and even various pest species. And it gives you a breakdown of what's been recorded in the scientific literature resistance-wise. So that is a resource that people can look at. And also uh, from time to time, check the industry periodicals. I'm a fan of 
pest control news myself and uh, latest information will, will be written in pieces there regarding resistance management so always good to, to look out for things like that Matt, thank you so much for your time and thanks for sharing your knowledge with us. No problem. Good stuff. Thanks, Luke. Let's not leave it so long next time. <laughs> okay, I promise. As you can see on the podcast, I like to utilise the Kill Germs technical department as much as possible. I don't see any reason why you guys shouldn't be doing that as well. And we can always reach them. They're just a call away. All right, so next up, I think we're going to have Melvin. Melvin Knapp, the technical manager for the South coming onto the podcast. I've been trying to convince him for a while. We think our diaries have finally aligned. So he'll be on next and we're going to be talking about grey silverfish. The code for this episode is Bravo Echo Delta Bravo Uniform Golf Sierra. Thank you all for listening. See you next time.